Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, I'm Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. Tonight, we're going to be talking about two young women with very different experiences, but a common thread. One that really hits home for me. My generation, well, we were the generation of young teens in chat rooms and on instant messenger before there were warning signs, before we really knew what could happen, before our parents had any inclination that maybe they should step in. And I don't blame the parents, I really don't. Technology gave pedophiles direct access to young teens everywhere with their naive and unknowing parents close by, oblivious to the absolute terror that was happening in their own homes. I'm thankful for my own experiences and that I have the knowledge to protect my own daughter, but I'm really just heartbroken that other young women my age had to learn the hard way. That the internet can be dark and full of predators. 
And today, you need to listen to their stories and hear their truths, especially if you have a daughter or even just know a young woman who might be susceptible. This episode is arguably the most important episode I've done to date, so listen up. Before we get into it, I want to talk about tonight's sponsor, who honestly seamlessly fits into the topic of tonight's show. This podcast, called Don't Fall For That, tackles topics like popular fads, side hustles, and straight-up scams. The host, Ali Moore, talks about some shady business like horoscopes and forex trading. Ali is a fantastic storyteller, seriously, and she's doing a great job by filling you in on things you see in your daily lives that truly need a second look. Check out the Don't Fall For That podcast on their website at dfftpodcast.com and search for it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Again, the show is called Don't Fall For That, and I know you'll love it. So let's jump right in then, shall we? The first story that I want to tell is Alicia Kozakovich. But from here on out, I'm going to be calling her Alicia Kozak because I really don't want to butcher her name so badly. I've been wanting to talk about Alicia's abduction for a while now. Something about it just leaves this pit in my stomach, and at the end, I'll tell you why. This story is particularly important to listen to, like I said, if you have daughters or really just any young ladies in your life that you love, because there is more danger than ever of Alicia's story being repeated. Alicia was born on March 23rd, 1988, so she's only two years younger than I am. At just 13 years old, she would be plucked out of her loving and very normal life and subjected to brutal acts that no one should ever have to go through. Alicia had a great childhood, up to the point of no return. She was beautiful, and she aspired to be a model when she grew up. She loved taking photos of herself, she loved to sing and dance, and was overall just a really happy girl. She lived with her mom, her dad, and older brother, who was nine years older than her. Her brother enjoyed playing computer games like Diablo, and he was the one that would show her the world of the internet. Now, like I mentioned, Alicia's only two years younger than me, so I can absolutely remember much of my childhood being very much the same. Online gaming was starting to become really popular, which opened up a whole new world of possibilities. You were able to make friends all around the world, usually with kids your own age or kids you thought were your own age. It was New Year's Day 2002. She had just finished celebrating the holidays with her family, which included a big meal cooked by her mom, pork and sauerkraut. That year was extra special because she was surrounded by her loving family, including her mom, her dad, her brother, and her brother's girlfriend and her grandmother. At some point between dinner and dessert, she asked her mother if she could go lie down in her room because she said she had a stomach ache. This was a lie. Alicia had plans to meet someone she had been talking to online for the last nine months who she thought was her friend. She lied because she knew she was doing something that she wasn't really supposed to be doing. She had warning bells going off in her head. She had that gut feeling so bad that she almost chickened out. 
But instead, she got up from the dinner table, she slipped past the Christmas tree by the front door, opened the front door to meet this person that she thought was her friend. This friend was a boy who she believed was around her own age. She didn't know him in person, but she felt like she knew everything about him because the two had started this online friendship that had them chatting for hours every day. She had been introduced to him by other friends online, and like I said, while she had never met him in person, she felt like he was safe because, you know, her friends had introduced her. He was into all of the same things that Alicia was into. He listened to what she had to say day and night, giving her advice about her parents and her friends. He was a shoulder to lean on, which just about every other 13-year-old girl I know would love to have. He was somebody to complain to and get comforted by over the eight or nine months that they chatted. Later, Alicia would say that this kind of behavior was completely out of character for her. This was the girl who would never even order a pizza on the phone because she was just way too shy. And here she was meeting this person, but she felt like she knew this online friend well enough to take a chance. It was January and it was dark. And Alicia, well, she was actually afraid of the dark and she hated the cold. She also never went outside alone after dark without an adult, but she figured that she would meet him quickly and then sort of sneak back inside before her family even noticed that she was gone. Instead, things would take a dark turn. Here's what Alicia said about what happened. Spoiler alert, yes, Alicia survived Thank God, so at least there will be light at the end of the tunnel. But first, things are about to get really, really dark and really scary. Alicia said, I remember walking up the street just about a block or so, and the streets were covered in ice and there was nobody out. What I remember most is the silence, how silencing snow can be. There were no dogs barking. There wasn't anything other than the snow crunching under my feet. I remember standing on the corner and this little voice finally spoke up my intuition and said, Alicia, what are you doing? This is really dangerous. You need to go home. Alicia turned around. She started walking back inside, chickening out, but then she heard her name being called. And the next thing she knew, she was in a car with this man. Yeah, a man. The man who Alicia thought was her friend but what turned out to be her worst nightmare was Scott Tyree, a 38-year-old man from Virginia. Scott was around 6 feet tall, he weighed at least 250 pounds, and he had a long, dark ponytail that cascaded down his back. I'm sure you have an image in your mind, um, but I'll be sure to post a photo of him for you to get the full picture over on my Facebook page. It would have been no problem at all for Scott to overpower the very tiny 13-year-old Alicia. Scott Tyree worked as a systems program analyst for a nationwide computer software company. He was married twice, and he had been for nine years, though he had been separated from his most recent wife for the last several years, and they were currently living apart. Surprisingly, Scott also had a daughter around the same age as Alicia, Though, this didn't stop him from carrying out his plan. As Alicia sat in the passenger seat, this guy grabbed her hand and squeezed it so tightly. She looked up at this middle-aged man who was definitely not who she thought he was supposed to be. And he began to bark commands at her. 
She was terrified and crying, so he would yell, be good, be quiet. He also threatened to put her in the trunk of the car if she didn't comply. Alicia knew in that moment that she had to listen to whatever he said in order to try to keep herself safe, but she didn't fully grasp the gravity of the situation at the time. And as they drove through her neighborhood, she hoped that maybe he would drive around the block and, I don't know, drop her off. But that didn't happen. They drove further and further from Alicia's home. After some time, the car reached a toll booth, and Alicia thought that maybe someone working there might notice that something just wasn't right and save her. But they didn't. They didn't see her in the passenger seat crying, or they didn't really think that there was anything wrong enough to call the police. And so the car with Alicia and this man went through the toll as usual. And Alicia's heart began to beat out of her chest, not knowing what fate awaited her. They continued driving, passing by phone booths that Alicia wished she could just jump out of the car to and call her parents. I can only imagine the feeling of being trapped in that car, knowing how much danger you're in, with freedom just outside of the car, but not within reach. Alicia was terrified that he was going to take a turn down one of the dark alleyways or into some isolated field somewhere and kill her. But he didn't stop. He drove all the way from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Virginia, which is about a six-hour car drive. So she had a ton of time to sit there and wonder what was going to happen to her next. When they arrived in Virginia, the car stopped at a house. Scott got out of the car, he walked to Alicia's side and opened the car door, dragged her out into the house and down a flight of stairs into a basement. The basement had a door with a padlock on it, and Alicia was taken inside. It was clear that this guy had prepared for all of this to happen. He had plans. He picked her up, he put her on a table, removed her clothing and said, This is going to be really hard for you. It's okay to cry. Meanwhile, back at Alicia's home, her mother had asked her brother to go up to her room and get her for dessert. So the brother goes to get Alicia, and he runs back downstairs to tell their mother that Alicia wasn't there. She wasn't in her room. Their father initially thought that Alicia was playing a game of hide-and-seek as the family began to search the home for her. They literally looked everywhere. They just didn't know what could have happened to her. She had seemingly vanished into thin air without anyone even noticing. So they contacted police and they reported her missing, not knowing what had happened, but that Alicia had to be in some serious danger. She would never just go off on her own. Alicia's face was quickly put all over the news and on missing persons posters almost right away. Her parents were committed to finding her. And Alicia, well, she endured absolute hell at the hands of her captor. She had a dog collar put around her neck, which connected her by a chain to the floor beside his bed in his bedroom. She was raped, beaten, and tortured for four full days. And any time that she would try and fight back, he would beat her. At one point, he even broke her nose. So she did everything that she could just to stay alive. And I'm so proud of her. Think about it. He had, at this point, abducted a child and raped her. And this child has seen his face 
and knows who he is. Why would he keep her alive? She didn't want to give him any more reason to just snap and kill her. On the fourth day of Alicia being held captive, Scott said to her, I'm beginning to like you too much. Tonight, we're going to go for a ride. Which to her meant that he was going to kill her. She was sure that this day was going to be her last. He gave her food for the first time in those four days, and then he left for work, leaving her to only imagine what was to come later. She thought about how maybe she could fight back, but she was in a very weakened state at this point, and he was a large man. She began to lose hope. She also started thinking about her family, and in particular her parents, wondering when was the last time that she had told them that she loved them. She knew that they had to be sick to death worrying about her and that they must be searching for her, but now she was beginning to think that they weren't going to find her alive. Then suddenly, she heard the sound of men shouting and banging on the door downstairs. She thought this must be it. These guys, they must be there to kill her. So she rolled underneath the bed to try to hide from them, and she tried to stay as quiet as she possibly could. She could hear them moving through the house, moving things, shouting things. Then she saw boots come along the side of the bed that she was hiding under. A man ordered her to crawl out from beneath the bed and to put her hands up. She tried dragging herself out in those heavy chains, cold, naked, terrified and bruised, thinking that this was the moment she was going to die. Then she saw FBI written on the back of one of the man's jackets, and all of these law enforcement agents rushed into the room. They cut the chain from around her neck and helped her. She was saved, and you're never going to guess how Alicia was found. This piece of crap pedophile was so brazen enough to broadcast himself, abusing Alicia on the internet. He showed a few of his friends, and he was literally bragging about having her in captivity. One of the people who saw this and recognized Alicia from the news and the missing persons poster, well, he called in a tip to the FBI. And thank God he did. Thank God everything happened at the time that it did, because Alicia was likely very close to meeting her fate. Scott was due to arrive back at his house at 4.30 p.m. that night, and law enforcement, they arrived at 4.10. Reading that gave me chills down my spine. This is the perfect example that when a child is missing, every single second counts. And I have no doubt that Scott was getting ready to kill her. Alicia's kidnapper, Scott Tyree, was arrested. Just a little bit more about this monster because I don't want to make this episode about him at all. But I want people to know that the kind of people that do this stuff appear to be very typical. They're hiding in plain sight. So like I said, Scott, he'd been married twice and he had a 12-year-old daughter at the time that Alicia was taken. Well, get this. His daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, was staying with him during winter break and was sent back to her mother on the day that he kidnapped Alicia. Yeah, he literally dropped off his little girl off with the mother and then went on to do this horrible thing to someone else's little girl. In September 2003, Scott Tyree was sentenced to 19 years and 7 months in federal prison. Of course, he didn't serve that. He was released in February 2019, and he was assigned to a halfway house in Pittsburgh. 
Yeah, that's right. I said Pittsburgh, where Alicia's family was living. In October 2019, he was returned to prison for an additional two years for violating the terms of his parole. Apparently, he attempted to visit a website using computers at the halfway house that would have allowed him access to porn and live sex videos. He couldn't get into the website because there were security measures blocking him. So he tried again on computers at the school he was attending. Although it's not clear if he was actually able to gain access to the site, but his parole was revoked for trying. So yeah, he's back in jail, really where he should have been all along. Because 16 years is not enough for the abduction and rape of a child. That's a lifelong stay the fuck out of society, in my personal opinion. Okay, back to the only person who matters in this story. Alicia has suffered. There's no doubt about that. She's had problems with PTSD and memory loss. And yet, she's still managed to turn her pain into the motivation to help keep other children safe. One year after her abduction, at the age of 14, she founded the Alicia Project. Now, the Alicia Project is an advocacy group that raises awareness and provides education on topics like internet safety for children, the prevalence of online child predators, and abductions. I'll make sure to put the link in my show notes so you can check it out. Alicia has also worked alongside Protect to secure the passage of her namesake, Alicia's Law. Alicia's Law provides a steady stream of state-specific funding to the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. In 2018, it was reported that Alicia's law had assisted in the arrest of over 1,000 online predators in Wisconsin alone. So they're doing some really amazing work. Please take a moment to check it out and to go listen to Alicia's story from her own lips. Hearing her words and her voice really just puts things into perspective. She's done so many incredible things to advocate for children and women. Seriously, she is so badass, so go learn about her. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. 
Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes? Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors fresh, never frozen meals that are also dietitian approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle, and I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, these meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Now, our second half of tonight's episode is going to be a little bit different than Alicia's story, but it still shows the dangers of the internet and how easily these creeps have access to our children. Now, let's talk about Kristen Helms. Kristen was a 14-year-old honor student in Orange County, California. She was in eighth grade when all of this happened, and she was a track star. She was your typical young teenage girl with her whole life ahead of her. Lots of dreams, big wishes, and aspirations. And like many other teen girls, she asked her mother for a computer, which was an absolute must. Even then, I remember half of my social life from school was actually spent after school on the computer. I'm sure that hasn't really changed. Her mother says yes, but she lays down some ground rules. No social networking sites, no chat rooms, and no talking to strangers. That's all definitely fair for a girl her age, and Kristen says no problem. But teens like to push the limits, don't they? So Kristen created a social media account on MySpace, secretly without her parents ever knowing. You guys remember MySpace, right? It was kind of the old Facebook that everyone was on. I had an account when I was around Kristen's age and my parents had no idea. But Kristen's brother found out and he told their parents and her computer was taken from her that very day. Kristen always said that her mother was overprotective. Personally, I think her mother was just very in tune with her child and I really hope that I can be that way with my own daughter. 
Kristen actually lost her computer for five and a half months. Yeah, so her parents were serious. They deleted her MySpace account and she was talked to about internet predators and all that jam. So they really hit the nail on the head. But unfortunately, at that point, it was already too late. Kristen had been messaging back and forth with a 27-year-old man from Texas by the name of Kylie Ryan Bowers. Her parents didn't have the slightest clue what was taking place between the two of them. Kristen had initially contacted Bowers over Yahoo Instant Messenger after seeing his personal GeoCities website. Now, if you're young, you probably don't know what GeoCities is, but everybody back in the day had their own web page that they created where, I don't know, they talked about themselves and GeoCities was the web page host and you could pick a city to host your web page in and it was a whole thing. So this would have been completely normal for Kristen to come across his personal web page, maybe find him interesting, fascinating, cute, and reach out to him. Well, he later persuaded her to create that MySpace account that she had, but they continued to use Yahoo Instant Messenger as well as email to send explicit webcam videos and photos back and forth. Kristen likely thought that she was in love at the time, that this was a very serious boyfriend and girlfriend type relationship that he really cared about her and thought she was beautiful. And even though she had her MySpace account shut down and her computer taken away, things didn't stop. Kristen called this guy behind her parents' back, and she used the school computers to continue this online relationship for months. In December 2005, so we're literally talking like eight months later, This 27-year-old man traveled from his home in Dallas to where Kristen lived in Orange County, California. So Kristen, she sneaks out of her home just after midnight and gets in the car with this guy and he takes her to a local motel where he rapes her. At the time, she likely thought it was consensual, but a 14-year-old child cannot have consensual sex with a 27-year-old man. He manipulated her. He groomed her for, what, eight months, and then he raped her. I have the transcript of their final instant messaging chat from June 4th, 2006, and I'm going to read it now. So Kristen says, If you said to a man you know that is the same age as you that you slept with a 15-year-old, they would probably literally beat the crap out of you. And Kylie, the pervert, says, Yeah, well, anyway, I guess the best way to prevent it from occurring again is no webcam. Kristen says, do you want me to leave you alone? Kylie says, I don't want you to leave me alone, but I think things would be a lot better if we were able to keep our relationship as just friends. Of course, finding you all attractive doesn't make that easy for me. The only reason I would be iffy about dating you if we were local would have nothing to do with you other than the age difference. Kristen says, because you came out here and used me, I feel like you raped me. And Kylie says, I know, and though that was not my intent, nor even what I wanted, it has become a big mistake that I wish I could correct. Dude, I'm sorry. Accidentally messaging a 14-year-old who maybe looks older and then saying, oops, you're 14, I can't talk to you, that might be a mistake. Driving to her hometown and raping her in a hotel is not a mistake. It's very intentional. He groomed her long before anything physical ever happened. He made her feel loved. 
valued, and important, which is what every 14-year-old girl wants. Later that same day as that chat, her mother heard her crying in her room and came in to ask what was wrong. She was really concerned about her. Kristen looked devastated. And this is when Kristen broke down and told her mother about this total pervert and what happened in that hotel room. Her mother was completely broken. She was disappointed in herself, hearing about how this man had violated her daughter. She thought that she had done everything that she could to protect her child, but she had absolutely no idea that all of this had been happening behind her back. This happened over an eight-month period where he groomed her enough to actually meet up and rape her. Kristen agreed with her mother to go to the police and report this man. She now realized that this was not a loving, consensual relationship and that he had actually groomed her, lured her, and raped her. Now, with the criminal and legal battle starting, Kristen fell into a deep, dark depression that she couldn't seem to come out of. Then on July 17th, 2006, Sunday morning, her parents went off to church Everything seemed fine, but when her parents came home and called out to her, there was no response. Her father walked around the house and found her. She had hung herself in the garage, and it was her father who had to find her and pull her down. According to her mother, this incident, this whole thing with this internet predator, had put Kristen into a clinically depressive state that she just couldn't recover from. She spoke in court saying, You deprived our only daughter of her innocence and essence when you dared to defile her emotionally and physically. She was only 15 years old, just a child. You caused her enormous and unimaginable emotional distress when you traveled to Orange County in order to feed your perverted sickness. Kylie Bowers, he sat there in court with his head down, not really looking at anyone, and he chose not to speak. But he was sentenced to nine years in a federal prison, plus six years on supervised release. So that means he's out now. He's also a registered sex offender for the rest of his life. So again, different circumstances, different stories, but so many lives destroyed. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that this one is kind of personal for me, and I'm sure there's many of you listening right now who can relate. As early as 13 years old, I joined a teen chat room where I met a lot of people both online and offline. Literally, I would meet up with other people who I thought were my own age, and some of them did turn out to be my age, and some of them didn't. I would tell my parents when I was going out that I was just going to go hang out with a friend. If they had any questions about who I was hanging out with, I might mention their name, but I would say they're so-and-so's friends. And my parents, they didn't ask a whole lot of questions. When I was around 15 or 16, I was able to move my computer into my bedroom, which is a big no-no. If you have a daughter, do not allow her to move that computer into her bedroom. Everything should be supervised. This meant that I could spend more time online, chatting to random people. I had many different online boyfriends throughout the years. I would give them my telephone number, sometimes even my mailing address, completely unaware of the danger I was putting myself in. And honestly, I don't even blame my parents. 
Social media was all brand new back then. They had no idea what I was doing or really any of the dangers lurking behind that computer screen. I got really, really lucky, but that's all it was. It was luck. I was playing with fire. So please be diligent with your children, both girls and boys. They're young, vulnerable, impressionable, and it's okay to be the strict parent. Keeping them safe is more important than being their best friend. That's it for tonight's episode. I'm going to put some links in my show notes for you to check out. Um, Just some different resources that I've come across. Make sure you check it out, especially if you're a parent, if you have a daughter or a son. They're both just as vulnerable as the other. And I know it's not easy being a parent, especially in the digital age. So check it out. Go listen to Alicia's story. Um, It's really important. And she is such an incredible person. I'd like to once again thank tonight's sponsor. Make sure you check out the podcast. Don't fall for that. You can listen to it over on their website, dfftpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Again, the show is called Don't Fall For That, and I know you guys are going to love it, so check it out. As for me, if you want to reach out, you can find me over on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper, or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, all one word. And if you are watching on YouTube, please, please, please give me a thumbs up, a like, whatever it is, and subscribe. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye. I'm Dean. I'm the dad. I'm Laura. I'm the mom. And I'm Crystalyn. I'm the daughter. And together we are... Family Plot! The Family Plot Podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits. We are PG-13. Don't ruin the commercial. Do catch us looking into special topics like the origins of fairy tales. Sherlock Holmes. Trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. Find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's Corner. But behave you two. So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye!